And welcome back. This is Daily Buddhism Audio Show number 56. My name is Brian Shell, and I'm your host for the show. You can find the text as well as all links mentioned in this program and all past episodes on the website at www.dailybuddhism.com. Just one quick announcement. The all-new monthly Buddhism PDF magazine for the month of May will go on sale tomorrow, May 3rd. And future issues will be available regularly on the first Sunday of each month. The May issue has over 60 pages of material, and it looks great. The cost is $5 and can be purchased at www.monthlybuddhism.com. If you were subscribed to the former Weekly Buddhism, your issue will be sent out just like before. You don't need to do anything. Otherwise, sign up now and it's not too late to get that first issue. Our sponsor for the audio show this week is once again Mighty Leaf Tea. They've got all kinds of different teas for your enjoyment, both hot and cold. They have the basic teas, but also tea accessories, pots, cups, and much more. Check them out for your Buddhist tea ceremony, or just because you love the taste. Get special deals and free sample teas by visiting www.dailybuddhism.com slash tea, T-E-A. And now, let's get on with this week's show. And we started out the week as we often do with a reader question. A reader asks, I suppose after 2,500 years that there's going to be more than one Buddhist tradition, but it seems the more deeply one delves into Buddhism, one finds more and more layers, lamas, and resources. Maybe I'm too cynical, but I suspect excellent as Buddhism is, like Christianity, it has its share of charlatans and inflated egos, posing as saintly teachers of the Dharma. Unlike Christianity, however, which for most Westerners is somewhat familiar territory, Buddhism presents the Western seeker with some unfamiliar and challenging aspects right up front. It's hard to know what's appropriate, sound, and worthwhile. The bookstores contain shelves of publications by various Buddhist lamas, monks, and writers. The internet is now full of websites devoted to one master or another. For the novice, like myself, this is daunting and more than a little discouraging. I'd like to know how others have come to find a path that seems to be right for them. And my response to that is, I agree with you completely. It's very hard to know where to start. I think the entire self-help industry is essentially based on good Buddhist ideals, just with all the religion and mysticism removed. It's pretty obvious that some of those folks are just out to sell books. Yet that doesn't necessarily make what they're saying wrong. There is more to Buddhism than feel-goodness. And despite what the Dalai Lama may say, there's more to it than just love and compassion as well. Those are important aspects, and are certainly attractive. But Buddhism can be complicated at times, as some topics here occasionally show. In some cases, it certainly appears that some of the Lamas and Rinpoches and so forth are involved in a sort of cult of personality. But it's hard to say for sure, because if they are in fact enlightened, then they deserve a lot of respect. This level of respect is something that's hard for Westerners to accept. Especially with the importance of lineage in some traditions, it's hard not to run into some ego somewhere along the line. And yet, if you take what they say, and, as the Buddha said, weigh it against what you know to be true, 
then you can't go too far wrong. But how do you know which path to take? Well, there's no easy route to enlightenment. You just have to put in a lot of time doing research. And if you have more than one church or temple in your area, then be sure to visit them all. Shopping around isn't going to hurt anything, and you will learn quite a bit in the, in the process. There are plenty of internet resources, too, and these can be very helpful. Or maybe even more daunting in making your decision. There are plenty of people out there who get all their Buddhism through the net, and there's nothing wrong with that. Although you'll probably learn more and enjoy the social aspects more with a real Sangha. I don't think there are too many branches of Buddhism, and I don't think any of them are perfectly right or wrong. They all teach essentially the same thing, only in different ways, using different methods. The tricky part is finding one that matches your personality and way of looking at the universe. And then it was time for a koan of the week. This one is entitled Flower Shower. Sabuti was Buddha's disciple. He was able to understand the potency of emptiness, the viewpoint that nothing exists except in its relationship of subjectivity and objectivity. One day, Sabuti, in a mood of sublime emptiness, was sitting under a tree. Flowers began to fall about him. We are praising you for your discourse on emptiness, the gods whispered to him. But I've not spoken of emptiness, said Sabuti. You have not spoken of emptiness. We have not heard emptiness, responded the gods. This is the true emptiness. And then blossoms showered upon Sabuti like rain. And then there was another question from a reader. In Catholicism and other sects of Christianity, there is a focus on confession of sins to others, such as priests or a congregation. Are there similar actions in the various Buddhist sects? And my answer. There are many examples of monks and lay people confessing various things to the original Buddha. One story goes as follows. A wealthy householder from Shravasti, who became known as Anathapindata, or giver of alms to the unprotected, confessed to the Buddha that he enjoyed his investing in business cares. The Buddha suggested that he be a lay disciple and continue his work and use it as a blessing for other people. So, Anathapindata invited the Buddha to spend the next rainy season at Shravasti, the chief city of Kusala where he purchased and built the Jetavana Monastery. Later, when he was dying of a painful illness, Shariputra went and taught him the mental concentration for the avoidance of pain usually only taught to monks. Natha Pindada died in peace. Well, okay, as you can see, this story is a little more practical than spiritual. The man had reservations about becoming a monk, so by confessing his doubts to Buddha, he was advised to take a more appropriate path. In this particular case, the man had done nothing wrong. But, as time passed, the practice of monks confessing their doubts, faults, and broken precepts became more and more common. Guilt is yet another form of suffering. And by confessing one's guilt, 
that suffering can be relieved. A punishment may be assigned for some offenses, but overall, the guilt will be gone. Now, unlike Catholicism, there is no forgiveness of sins, since that just can't happen in Buddhism. No matter what the offense, there's no avoiding the effects of karma. You must, and eventually will, take full responsibility for your crimes, mistakes, and bad judgment, just as you will for all your compassion, help, and kindness. All the good and all the bad from your past matter, and confession won't help that a bit. But, for the sake of justice and removing your own guilt, then confession can be seen as a good thing. And then we had another reader question. A reader wrote in with, You wrote in an earlier episode of The Daily Buddhism that, Buddhism isn't a system of faith or belief, but a way of living and interacting with the world around us. How do you reconcile this, dealing with what a Buddhist can see and experience, with a belief in reincarnation, something that you don't know and you don't remember? Isn't this crossing into the territory of faith, and more associated conceptually with a religious principle as opposed to a philosophical one? Just to clarify, I'm not trying to nail you or anything. I'm truly interested in your take on this question as someone more aware of the Buddhist principles and beliefs than I am. Personally, I have my own philosophy, or belief structure if you will, that mainly revolves around accepting that there are many things in this world that we simply do not know. That doesn't mean that there isn't a God, but much as you indicated, Buddhist philosophy indicates that there's no way of knowing if God exists or not, so it's a moot point to consider or spend energy on. To my personal thinking, as I indicated above, I have no way of knowing if there is reincarnation or not. However, I've not truly seen or experienced evidence of it, so I accept that I do not know. So I can't tell anyone that they're wrong, but likewise I put no association of truth with the theory either. I've just found your podcast and will be starting to play catch-up, so I apologize if this is something you've addressed before, or if you dislike receiving direct questions such as this. Also, I've considered the points that Buddhism for many can be considered an a la carte philosophy, where you take what you can use and leave what doesn't seem true to you. For the most part, I believe this is likely what I will do as I learn more, but I was still interested in your thoughts. Okay, that was a long one. But my answer and my response is, first of all, don't apologize. I love all the questions. Once in a while, I may get stumped, but I haven't been nailed yet. Okay, as to believing in reincarnation, you're right about it being a religious question in the West. This is not the case in the East, where it's just accepted as the way things are. I did cover this idea back in my two-parter, Converts vs. Background Buddhism and the Dog Story. There will be links to these two articles in the show notes. You can also do a search for reincarnation or rebirth on the site to find several other past articles. But rebirth isn't so much a matter of faith or religion in the East, so much as it is just an accepted fact. Yet in the West, rebirth is a pretty big hindrance for many. Your comparison between belief in rebirth and the belief in a, in a God is right on, in my opinion. We cannot know for sure, so don't waste time thinking about it. I'm not sure that I really believe in rebirth myself, but I generally don't worry about it. I like the idea of karma in the path, whether or not there is rebirth, 
and live my life with that in mind. If I'm reborn in the future in a better or worse position, I'll deal with it. If I'm simply dead forever, I'll have lived a good life as it was. But I'm not going to get attached to the outcomes. You know what they say about attachments. Belief in rebirth is not crucial to being a Buddhist, although a lot of the basic ideas do just assume that it's true. Also, the a la carte metaphor that you used is a good one. You should take what you need and can use. Don't focus on what you can't use. Every so often, you should take a look at the things that you don't use and reevaluate them. Sometimes that stuff you skipped before makes sense a few years later. And then on Friday, we had a final question. The reader wrote in, In the most recent episode of the Daily Buddhism Podcast, number 55, you stated in response to a question regarding self-defense that it's generally considered acceptable to defend yourself and others when necessary, at least when lives are at stake. Killing over property would not be justifiable, at least not in my opinion. I would point out that one's body is their property. When you work for an employer, you're leasing the output of your body, that is your labor, to them for a set amount of time under agreed-upon conditions, such as breaks, insurance, dress code, etc. You can do this because you are the owner of your body, and ownership of something denotes the sole ability to determine what can and cannot be done with it. What you do with your body is yours to control as you see fit, so long as what you do does not harm another person or damage their property. While it's difficult to see this in a world where politicians take a portion of your earnings through taxation, force you to pay for all sorts of boondoggles without your consent, make all sorts of decrees regarding what you can and cannot do with your body, and punish disobedience by robbing you with fines, caging you in jail, or killing you if you resist too much or they've had a bad day. It does not change the truth. You own you. Okay, and my response to that is under the law, at least here in America, you're completely correct. From a Buddhist point of view, however, that may not be the case. Remember the idea of anatman, or no-self, that exists within Buddhism. Even your conception of you isn't really you. There is no you. You cannot own yourself, since there actually is no self. There is a physical body, but is it you? Is it yours? And here's a quote from Kathasarit Sagara. Why should we cling to this perishable body? In the eye of the wise, the only thing it's good for is to benefit one's fellow creatures. And another quote from Nagananda. Is not all I possess, even to my very body, kept for the benefit of others? Okay, basically, my opinion is, if there is no you, then there is no yours either. So property in itself is only an illusion. And that's all I have for you this week. If you have a question on any Buddhism-related topic, send in your questions by email to dailybuddhism at replaymedia.com or phone them in at 937-660-4949 or post them in the comment section of any individual blog post. 
If you found any part of this podcast especially interesting, be sure to check out the comment section beneath the blog posts for that article. There are often many excellent comments by readers there that add significantly to what I said. And of course, The Daily Buddhism runs primarily from your donations, and it's easy to help out. Just go to www.dailybuddhism.com donate and click on any of the options there. You can donate as little as $1 or as much as you want. If you choose the recurring $5 a month donation level, you'll get a free subscription to the monthly Buddhism PDF magazine. But anything you send in is appreciated and helpful. Keep in mind that the Daily Buddhism daily email newsletter is completely free. All you need to do is go to the site and sign up. www.dailybuddhism.com And I will see you next week. Next week.